0: Hello, you're listening to The Joys of Teaching Literature. We're talking about uh, all things teaching high school English, how to make your life easier, more fun, more meaningful, um, get, the, get the most out of your experience in the classroom. Uh, if you want to know more about me, you can go to the work, theteachersworkshop.com, where I offer online professional development for high school English teachers. I try to cover everything. <laughs> we do uh, project-based learning, The teaching of writing and basically like my approach to the entire sort of program that i have with uh, teaching writing and reflection and editing and revision rubrics um, giving feedback verbal feedback i think i have section on how to teach shakespeare technology podcasts video essays short stories poetry uh, anything that anything and everything that i can think of to help you uh, do your job (coughs) better and make it more fun and make sure that your kids are having fun and getting meaning out of uh what it is we do and it's interesting cuz we went to um I went to a hall of fame um induction ceremony recently and somebody made a comment about how <laughs> how coaches are sort of tasked with this impossible thing which is to make kids care about something that doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, sports is throwing a ball around. <clears throat> you know, just it's, it's not gonna have any impact on anything but what matters is that you care and that you try and that you have fun and that you get you sort of imagine meaning out of it you know this simple thing of throwing a ball or swimming in a pool or running um that somehow it makes a difference in somebody else's life but you know ultimately the the yeah think about how many how many kids go on to become professional athletes or olympic athletes very tiny percentage but it's still so much fun <laughs> to play sports uh, in high school and to continue to, say, play basketball at the gym when you get older or play in a league or do all of those things that, um, you know, make the, the experience that we have in high school carry on beyond itself. But, but really, it's just about, you know, that, the magic of, of playing the sport. And uh, I feel like <clears throat> what we do is, is like that and, and even with the topic today we're talking about how students can gather quotes you know I think that's it's one of those things that's not the, the most fun thing in the world I mean I, <laughs> I think I know that for me it was I actually when I was a kid um, in high school and maybe even before I think I might have started it in middle school um, growing up in the 90s there's so much great music and so many great songwriters and I would um in the novels I read and poems, um, but also in the song lyrics that I encountered, I'd always I had this sort of little um, notebook of the, like the best like just quotes that I really loved, and I just kept adding to it as I whatever I encountered a cool quote, you know, just kind of add to it. I never sh- I don't think I ever shared it with anybody. It was just something I had. That I kind of reread every once in a while, so so gathering quotes for us as English teachers is fun. I'm not sure it's the most fun thing for kids, but I I think that is part of the challenge of our job is to sort of you know have kids that are maybe they're going to be scientists, maybe they're going to be um, marketing or whatever, and to care about you know English and learning and it might not actually be something they do for the rest of their life, but I think part of the objective of education is to get is just to get kids to care um, about everything you know and so that's what we're sort of bringing our enthusiasm in there just to you know have them to be a part of the process and be involved with with everything that they do regardless of you know the field that they pursue for the rest of their life we're just there to you know make them enthusiastic and energetic and and to care about to care about life in general Uh, and maybe stumble along some moments of truth and beauty along the way um, and get excited about it but uh, yeah so this is so the topic for today is five fun ways to find quotes Um, and I think just (laughs) sort of doing what I'm just describing uh, which is where we sort of tell students the importance of finding quotes because I think it's easy and, and probably honestly probably more fun just to write and of course there's you know, without say quoting the text, so I guess we're mostly talking about literature here and, and novels, poems, you know, different things that we expect them to sort of quote. Um, of course, nonfiction is important to quote too, um, whether it be a statistic or some fact or you know something somebody said in an article, um, sort of ex- expecting them to interpret that to have their independent and imaginative and creative interpretation of, of what that person said uh, is, is, is always sort of important. Um, and so I think, but, but just writing is, is probably more fun, right? Just to write a regular style essay, essay being a piece of writing on a topic of choice. If you're going to write about dogs, you're going to write about furniture, I don't know, the weather, what, well, yeah, just some random topic, the economy, uh, it's probably more fun just to sit there and write without gathering, doing the research, gathering any kind of evidence to sort of back up your main point. It's easier and, and lighter and more sort of carefree process, non-academic process, to just write without quotes. I do give my students the opportunity to do that, usually more towards the end of the year, where they can just sort of. That's sort of what philosophy is to some extent, right? It's just a bunch of writing, thinking out, thinking, thinking on paper about a topic. Uh, and so, sort of starting with that, right? what is the sort of value of of finding quotes first of all uh, and and the way that I'd like to explain it, <laughs> especially in in this day and age, it's really important because anybody can go on the internet and say anything right? I'm sitting here saying anything. <laughs> I was thinking about that actually, I was uh, writing the blog, and right now I'm just talking i don't there's no quotes, right? I'm not looking up research about what's the best you know way of doing this i just i speak from my own experiences from years of teaching and that's my evidence <laughs> yeah, that's the interesting thing about um educational research i feel like it's always a <laughs> it's always changing and evolving like what's the best practice is something that we uh always change our minds about depending on what research says and science works that way too right you know we think we have a fact and then it's like oh yeah by the way we're gonna All this new research says that that fact that we thought was a fact is actually not true as far as, you know, say your diet or what's good for you, what's bad for you, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, So we're always learning about um, what the the new best research says, and sometimes we just have to go from empirical evidence and anecdotal stuff, which you're not supposed to do, but... When you've been teaching for a long time, you know, you're doing a lot of sort of active research yourself, just figuring out what works and stuff like that. Uh, But either way, um, in today's world, there are people who do just say things without backing them up with evidence. And for me, just talking about teaching English, that's one thing. But if you're a politician, say, and I try to use these examples because I think they get lost in the idea of doing what we usually do, which is teach literature, novels. Um, but it's also something that is applicable in the real world too, right? You're not going to say anything unless you have facts to back it up. It doesn't matter what it is. Even if you're, say, you're like telling a story, you know, what fun is a story if you just said, I got sad. You're like, no, I, I don't <laughs> care that you were sad. I want to know what happened to you that made you sad. And I want to know all the details about your experience, you know, to kind of support that that thing that you said that you were mad. And so, it doesn't matter what it is; it's got to have some evidence and, and facts to um, demonstrate what it is you are talking about. And so, the things, that, you know, the way that I explain it is: okay, imagine a politician who doesn't use facts to back up their plan to help the economy; you are not going to believe what they say, right? You are not going to vote for them. You know, imagine a scientist who doesn't use evidence in their research; <laughs> it's like it wouldn't be science without the evidence. Um, imagine a realtor, right? Where they just want to oh, we don't have to go to see the house let's Let me just describe it to you. <laughs> let me just there's this nice garden and there's an island in there in the kitchen, and there's this big window in the in the bedroom and so that's all you have to know you don't We don't have to go to the house right so that that's sort of what I first like to talk to the kids about is just the importance of making an argument you know that it, the, an argument doesn't really exist unless it has evidence to support it um similar to trying to sell a product that t- doesn't work. It, you know, it has to work for people to buy it. Eventually, you know, a bunch of people are going to buy it. It's not going to work. And they're going to tell their friends, Hey, this thing that I bought to, you know, moisturize my skin or clean my floor or whatever it is, it uh, doesn't work. And people are going to stop buying that thing because it doesn't work. But if it gets five star reviews online and everybody says it's a great thing that actually works, uh, then they're going to go buy it. Right? So that's, that's the evidence is that people are saying it works. Um, so you know, essays are just like that. They also need evidence. And so it's important to kind of explain that because kids are, again, they're going to do the more fun thing that doesn't require as much work, which is just to have an opinion about a novel or what, or any kind of literature without doing the, the real legwork, the academic legwork of finding the quotes and, and finding quotes that that require interpretation, that require heavy amount of thinking and um, not just quotes that have to do with plot um, but but something that reveals the emotion of the character or an idea in the in the in the story. Um, if, if we want our students to write a high quality essay, they need to spend most of their time in class working with the text and finding quotes that they can use to support their thesis. So that's I always my students have the book out on their desk every single class period. It's so just something. Get out your book. Get out your notes. That's on a day-to-day basis. That's why, because we're always going to be working with the book. Um, so let's get into how they can work with the book and find quotes. Because the more quotes they have before they write the essay, the better the essay is going to be, right? And I sort of just went over this with my students because we I just had them writing an essay, um, and I actually had to explain it. Like, so this is this is what we do, right? We we ex- we take notes in class, and then to prepare for an essay, you need to to revisit the notes that you took on quotes. Look at what you interpreted about it. Maybe you wrote down what I said in class. Maybe you wrote down what a classmate said in class because you thought it was a good idea. But now you want to think about, or maybe it was something that you thought about that quote. And that's great. That's the best kind of note is the thing that you think about the quote. But now that you've studied the book for four weeks, now you're going to go revisit that thought that you had about this quote. And you're going to, think about it again in the context because you have a greater understanding of the book. So now you're going to look back on that quote and come up with something new. And so that's pre-writing because you're starting to think about, okay, so here are these 12 quotes that are the most important quotes in the book. How can I organize them by topic? Um, And then organize them into an essay. And writing the essay should be really easy because you've already done the thinking about the quote during class discussions, and then to prepare for an essay, you thought about it again. And then when you sit down to write the essay, you've done all the thinking already. It's already finished, right? So you just have to find a way of organizing those those thoughts that you've had on multiple occasions. Because I also have my kids take notes, uh, independent reading notes, while they read the book for the first time. And so I say, go revisit those notes, because those are important too, the ones that you took before we had the conversation in class, because those are your that's what you originally thought about the book. So those are, that's always really important to go back after all these conversations we had. Well, what did I really think about the book when I first read it? So those are important to go back to too. So it's just revisiting those notes and just thinking about them. I usually don't give my students the prompt until they come into class for a lot of different reasons. <laughs> it's not a conversation for another day. Uh, but they come into class, they see the, the prompt, the question, and then they have to you know revisit those notes uh, that they've, you know, gathered over the course of a month or so and put together an essay. So so there's five things. I'm going to try to go through them as quickly as I can. Um, the first thing is uh, to read to read aloud. That's huge, right? Because as we read aloud, then they can listen to—they can read the book, listen to it, uh, and then write down their quote in their notes. So before I get into all of this, that's important part. I have this packet. I mention this a lot, that I have a packet— of handouts for one unit so they have it all in one place and it's scaffolded which I'll get to in a second so they can always take notes on whatever it is that whatever the activity is there's a place that's a formal place that I print out for them for them to take notes and I collect those notes with the essay so that's when I I'm taking you through all these things you know that's Basically, the procedure of my class is always a place, no matter. So, like, what I discovered was okay. So, one person's making a presentation, and nobody else is, paying, you know, doing anything. So, I'm basically saying like, take notes, take notes. Every, there's whatever we're doing, they're taking notes. Um, so that's one thing is reading aloud, and so reading out loud, first of all, has its. I mean, I, I've had a couple of episodes on this one too, but reading a text out loud really allows students to hear the emotion behind the words on the paper. It's just the same reason why it's easy to hear shakespeare than it is to silently read his plays right if they're shouting if they're whispering all that different stuff it's going to make it easier to understand um, in addition to bringing the text to life reading out loud allows students to write down quotes that stick out to them i like to change the pace and the volume of the reading so uh, I, I do like to do <laughs> a lot of the reading myself sometimes i'll ask students to read uh, but that's usually why I read, because I can, <laughs> not that I'm the best reader, but kind of, right? Because I have read it a million times to other, other, you know, for however many years I've been teaching, close to 20 now probably. Uh, and I'm so unfamiliar with it, and I, I'm, in a lot of cases I've memorized it. So I can read it with, you know, a certain level of the pace and the speed that I read. I like to pause at certain points to let them think about what I just said because it was complicated or because the character's thinking, and they're or they're worried or they're uncertain about what to do. So I really slow it down. And then other times, like I was just reading a passage in *Into the Lighthouse*, um, where uh, Lily is is starting to 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 um, paint this painting that she hasn't revis she hasn't gotten to for ten years. And so it's it's tr- tough and choppy in the beginning. And then as she starts to paint, it's very quick. It's super long sentences where it's just like these really explosive thoughts that she's having. Um, and so I can convey the emotion or the idea in the passage when I read it out loud, and it helps them understand it better and then know which you know what quotes to write down as they're taking notes. You know, A couple other examples in Hamlet, <laughs> my favorite is uh, the ghost in King Hamlet always have, for some reasons always falls around Halloween too. <laughs> Um, I think this year I was like in costume as Taylor Swift, which was hilarious, by the way. Um, we did, uh, the eras of all the English teachers did the eras of Taylor Swift for our Halloween costume and we won the competition. What, what, um, but, uh, that day I had to perform, actually I was getting observed that day, which is really funny too. So I'm like all dressed up and I'm performing this long, uh, speech from King Hamlet as he pops up like hey i got murdered and you know so i i, I interpret that as i'm so mad somebody killed me <laughs> yeah it's kind of funny when you think about it, this ghost pops up and so they think it's funny you know because this guy's like talking about his brother killed him and he's so angry about it and he married his his wife <laughs> um so i shout like yeah, i'm really shouting those lines and getting that getting into it and they get it then they're like oh man that's right this guy just got murdered like he's so angry you know and it's so easy to understand that that kind of long winding passage that way and then the other one is um i like to read the first few chapters of great expectations i mean i'm always reading out loud i'm just thinking of a couple that popped in my head and that is uh when Magwitch pops out of the, the the graveyard and as the sun's going down and toward the end of the evening or the start of the evening i should say and uh he screams at Pip, you know, to get him the file and the whittles and threatens to kill him. And so when I, when he get to that point, I just I, I scream as loud as I can. I go, Hold your noise, I think is the line. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that's number one. Number two is the, a close reading. So, of course, we all do close readings, but that's another great um, way to get kids to realize what quotes they need to write down because you're doing this close reading. And as you close read, I mean, there's obviously a ton of benefits to close reading. Um, you know, they identify literary techniques, like repetition, parallel structure, metonymy, personification, right? So they're getting all of those techniques, and they're also thinking about their purpose. What's the, f- you know, character feeling at this point? Uh, what's the idea that they're trying to express? Um, you know, what, what are they, what reality are they kind of depicting, that sort of thing? Uh, and then they also observe patterns and punctuation you know they can like i just kind of mentioned in t- to the lighthouse um as as lily's starting uh her painting it's really sort of short, short assertive choppy sentences because she's she's worried and she's nervous um she's full of doubt about whether she's going to get this painting right and people are going to understand it and like it and all those different things we that artists do before they start something or art you know anybody starts anything really you're just nervous about it something you haven't done before you want to accomplish something great you want to be successful um but then as as she starts the painting she starts to gain confidence in her ability and in herself her life her identity her gender all this different sort of complicated stuff um and the fact that she's single and she's okay with that Uh, and so as the her courage and her confidence grows these sentences get longer and longer uh and the, and the fragmented quality of her thoughts starts to happen because she's just in this zone, kind of, as I describe it. Um, so, so, yes, they can do things like that. They can take notes on the techniques in a passage, and then, and then, again, when they're looking at their notes, they can connect those quotes that they wrote down to larger themes. So they just did this close reading, but then they're like, okay, so how do these little quotes that I gathered related to this close reading have to do with the larger themes... Uh, that unfold in the novel so that's number two number three is scaffolded notes um, I think it's easier for students to take notes if they have a guide so the, again I talk about this a lot too in whole novel activities well, my activities are, are organized by topic so I don't go chapter by chapter I go by topic um, and I have say 10 or 15 page numbers you can go in my teacher's page, teacher's um, store I have almost all the novels I teach with these activities there um, and so the, the, with each topic comes like 10 or 15, uh, just, just, a page number for them with space for them to write. So as we read it out loud, they have all this basically space to write quotes and interpretations of those quotes. Um, I have topics for each of the, que- or sorry, questions for each of the topics so that they can, um, organize their thoughts. Like the class is organized, you know, that sort of helps them, you know, Topic-based activities function as a model for how to sh- structure an essay. It gets them ready for you know, writing a body paragraph or writing a thesis or whatever it might be. Um, I distribute all the handouts with scaffolded notes at the beginning of a unit so they don't have to like lose track of you know, like the kids with the folders and, oh, where's this thing? And it's crumpled up in their math textbook or whatever. So this way it's all in one place. You know, I, I emphasize not to lose it, keep track of it. Um, so that's number three. Number four is group work. Of course. This is all stuff we do, you know. But in group work, kids can work in small groups or with a partner. I usually like the partner just turn to a partner. And they can collect notes related to the same topic and then answer the question. They can just kind of work with one other person to do that. And then some of the best conversations that I've had, I just had, like, I think it was two weeks ago or so. Couldn't I couldn't get over it. It was one of the best convers- class conversations I've had in a really long time. It might be because of the pandemic. <laughs> it was kind of pulling teeth for a while there. But um, I think it was just because I, I basically was like, hey, you know, work your way through this topic. I want you to go through the whole thing. I think I gave them a whole period to do it. And then when we came in, I asked them to kind of share out their thoughts and all these different passages. And almost every person in the room had their hand in the air. It was one of those things where I was just like, letting these hands fly up and they're, I didn't even have to say anything because they're all just bouncing comments off each other and all had a a bunch of stuff to say because they all, every single kid went through every single passage. Um, and then they were just sort of sharing their, their, the thoughts they had privately, you know, as they went through it with one other person. Um, that also obviously allows you to circle around the room and help them with any passages they don't understand or anything that they need help with. Um, Another thing I do with well, with group work is I'll assign, instead of doing all of the passages, I'll assign one or two passages, say, to two students. Like, all right, you two back there, you do page 15 and page 20. You over you, you three over here, you do this page and this page. So they just have a couple of pages. So um, at once I give them 10 or 15 minutes to go through the passage, then they, they can present. They're a little bit more comfortable presenting their interpretations of the class because they've discussed it with somebody else. It's common practice, right? Think pair, Think, pair, share um kind of minus the think but that's also a possibility i feel like that might be a little redundant to like do it once do it twice and then do it the third time so this way it's just like pair share um or like think share is also that's kind of what i just described think share and then and then pair share if you do all you could of course do all three where you have them look at it on their own then discuss it and then share out but again it's like you know a little too much time with one single thing, right? You want to try to get it to as this is this is kind of what I'm getting at, right? You want to get to as many quotes as possible. So if you just say like, okay, think about this for ten minutes, and then talk about it for ten minutes, and then and then we're going to discuss it for ten minutes, then you're still stuck on that one quote. So that's basically how I mix it up. I'm like, all right, you two over there, do this one, and so we quickly in one class can cover fifteen quotes. So by the end of a unit, I mean it's we have so they have so many notes, they have so many different interpretations of quotes. It's almost too much, right? So that's why I suggest going through and say, you know, I just told them, like, hey, if you want to get ready for the essay, just star your favorite quotes. You know, the, my my questions are usually big enough where you can just grab your favorite quotes to make it make it work for your interpretation of the novel. Um, and that's, that's basically... But it's almost like they have too much to write about by the end of the unit. Um, the fifth and final one is uh, presentations and posters. So... In this case, you can have a group of kids um, create a slide. I've done this with Power. You can do it PowerPoint. Basically, the three main ones I use, PowerPoint, Canva, and then an actual physical poster. That's my favorite because it's, it's like markers. They get to walk around a little, get out of their seats. You know, they usually create a little you know table to all write on the poster. We have these very large, I don't know, four feet by three feet, very large posters. We're lucky to have them. And then what I'll do is... Um, take a picture with the Gen- genius app, it's called. It's great, it eliminates shadows, but it keeps the colors. So when I share the image I take on my phone with, put it on my computer, I can project it onto the screen and I can zoom in and get really high quality. Um, like it's not pixelated when you zoom in, it's really high quality, it doesn't have shadows. And so I can zoom in on one, you know, I can blow up one comment or one quote to be the entire size of the projector screen in my class which is huge and so they can easily take notes because for me it's really important to be able to see i used to do stuff on the board but it was so hard to see it um that it was hard to take a note on it it was hard to write down the quote and therefore hard to use that quote in the essay right so i'm all about being able to see like posters the same way you look at a poster from a distance like what is that quote i can't read it you know got kids in the back of the class so this way they can i can zoom in on it and they can see the quote huge and then write it down um, you know, the other kind of approach with posters, mind map is one sort of approach, uh, sketch notes, a one pager is a similar kind of idea, but you're basically doing that with four or five kids uh, and again, making it this thing that you can zoom in on almost like a Prezi, uh, but it's handwritten, which makes it fun and kind of active in a way. Um, so that's that. And then I think other students, many students feel comfortable taking, um, talking about a quote uh, that they wrote down. So it's not just, okay, I wrote this down on my piece of paper. and I'm going to share out what I thought, but, oh, I wrote this on a, on a, uh, a big, huge poster and it's on this projector screen or on a PowerPoint. Say a PowerPoint's really easy because it's typed, right? So it's easy to write that down. I always actually tuck some kids will make these PowerPoints with like a million words all over it. Um, so I'm always telling them, you know, just make it so that we can read it and don't, You know have a huge paragraph on a powerpoint right make it something that we can read really quickly um and then uh and then they're comfortable you know it's kind of just reading off the powerpoint for the kids who who, you know who can't think on their feet you know they got the powerpoint to read from that and then people can listen they can so this is all differentiation too right they can listen they can they can look at it you know whatever they whatever they want to do to uh, help understand the information um, so those are the five ways. Hope you enjoyed reading. If you uh, like my podcast, I would love it if you gave me a, a review wherever you, you um, wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Have a have a great great break, everybody.